Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Ken Rex McElroy and how one small town took justice into their own hands. But first, your true crime headlines. The United States is reeling after a pair of mass shootings occurred just 13 hours apart. The first was in El Paso, Texas, when a gunman opened fire inside a Walmart, killing 22 people and injuring 24 more. The shooter surrendered to police and was identified as a 21-year-old resident of Allen, Texas, a suburb of Dallas. The gunman posted an anti-immigrant manifesto on the website 8chan just 27 minutes before the attack. The state of Texas has filed capital murder charges against the shooter, and the Department of Justice is treating the incident as an act of domestic terrorism and considering bringing federal hate crimes and weapons charges, which could result in the death penalty. Just 13 hours later, in a nightclub district of Dayton, Ohio, a 24-year-old man armed with a high-capacity rifle killed nine people and injured 27 more, firing off 41 shots in just 30 seconds before being killed by police. The shooter's own sister was among the victims. Since January, there have been 275 deaths and more than 1,000 injuries from mass shootings in the United States. In the wake of these recent shootings, Amnesty International issued a travel warning calling for travelers and visitors to the United States to exercise extreme caution due to rampant gun violence, which it says has become so prevalent in the United States that it amounts to a human rights crisis. Authorities are searching for an inmate who escaped from Western Tennessee State Penitentiary and who is believed to have killed a prison official. The escaped prisoner is Curtis Ray Watson, who was serving a 15-year sentence for aggravated kidnapping. Watson was able to slip away from his prison job as a farm laborer by stealing a tractor, which was later recovered a mile and a half away. On the day that Watson was discovered missing, a longtime prison official was found dead in her home, which is one of about a dozen residential properties located on prison grounds. The victim, 64-year-old Deborah Johnson had worked as an administrator for the Tennessee Department of Corrections for 38 years. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation has issued a statewide blue alert in the wake of her death. The blue alert is issued when a suspect kills or seriously injures an officer in the line of duty. Curtis Ray Watson is described as a white male, 44 years old, 5 foot 11 inches tall and 140 pounds. His most recent mugshot shows a man with a bald head and a long gray beard, but authorities have released copies of some older mugshots showing the fugitive with a clean-shaven face, as well as photos of his many distinctive tattoos. The reward for information leading to his capture has grown to more than $50,000, and he remains on the loose. Twelve years after the horrific slayings of a young Tennessee couple, the fifth of five defendants charged with their murder is finally facing trial. 21-year-old Shannon Christian and her 23-year-old boyfriend, Christopher Newsom, were on their way to a friend's party when they were carjacked and kidnapped on the night of January 6, 2007, by three unknown men. The couple were bound and gagged 
and taken to the rented home of one of their captors, where they were both brutally tortured, raped, and murdered. Newsom's body would be found the following day along some railroad tracks, and Christian's body would be later recovered, stuffed into a trash can in the house where the couple had been brutally tortured. Three men and a woman were charged with their murders, and another man was charged with the carjacking and accessory after the fact. Each were tried separately, and all were sent to prison. Then in 2018, a grand jury brought a 36-count indictment against Eric Boyd, who had been convicted of carjacking in the case. This time, he is charged with first-degree felony murder, first-degree premeditated murder, especially aggravated robbery, especially aggravated kidnapping, and aggravated rape. Included among the witnesses are one of Boyd's co-conspirators, who told the court about Boyd's direct involvement with the murders. A Southern California millionaire who occupied a spot on the U.S. Marshals' 15 most wanted list has been captured. 55-year-old Peter Chadwick was charged with murder in the death of his wife in 2012. In 2015, while out on bail awaiting trial, Chadwick drained his bank accounts and went on the run. Last fall, in an effort to drum up renewed interest in the case, Newport Beach detectives launched a podcast called Countdown to Capture, which detailed the evidence against Chadwick and implored listeners to contact investigators if they had any information on the case. Chadwick was taken into custody in Mexico and deported to the United States, where he is being held without bail and awaiting trial. Convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein died by apparent suicide while being held in federal custody in New York. Epstein was being housed at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan as he awaited trial on federal sex trafficking charges. The millionaire financer, whose social circle at one time included United States presidents and members of the British royal family, was facing one count each of sex trafficking a minor and conspiracy to commit sex trafficking. Epstein had been taken off of suicide watch less than two weeks before his death. His death has unleashed a wave of online conspiracy theories, with people suggesting that he was killed to keep him from disclosing potentially incriminating information about his high-powered friends and associates. On the night of Epstein's death, he was being guarded by two officers. One of them was working a mandatory overtime shift, and the other was working his fifth overtime shift of the week. United States Attorney General William Barr announced that he would be launching an investigation into Epstein's death and stated that he was angry and appalled at the failures at the prison facility where Epstein was held. A Florida man who was convicted of killing his parents and brother has been spared the death penalty and instead will face life behind bars. 30-year-old Grant Amato executed his family after they tried to get him to end his relationship with a Bulgarian webcam model named Sylvie who he met on an adult website. Amato convinced the cam girl that he was a wealthy gamer, and in an attempt to prove his wealth, he stole more than $200,000 from his father and brother and spent it on lavish gifts for Sylvie. 
When his family found out, they ordered him to stop communicating with the woman and to go to a treatment program for internet addiction. He did not complete the program and was soon back to communicating secretly with Sylvie. When his brother found out that he had rekindled the relationship with Sylvie, he confronted Grant Amato and they argued, and prosecutors believed that Amato snapped and began planning the murders of his family. A jury convicted Amato of three counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of his parents and brother. The same jury deliberated for three hours before deciding not to recommend a death sentence. Amato will instead be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the story of Ken Rex McElroy. But first, a quick break. Are you always too hot or too cold? Don't you wish there was some kind of magical device that you could wear that would let you set your perfect Goldilocks temperature so that no matter where you are, you feel just right? Well, your wish has been granted with Ember Wave. Ember is the first personal wearable heater and cooler. Created by three wizards at MIT, the Ember bracelet uses precisely engineered thermal waves to help you feel five degrees more comfortable in minutes. And beyond comfort, research shows that Ember's thermal waveforms can also help reduce stress and improve sleep because they activate the interoceptive regions of the mind that control social emotion and pleasure. So you don't have to sweat things like global warming. You can chill out with Ember. And when winter comes and the next polar vortex is upon us, just open the app and switch to warming mode, and Ember will make you feel like you're sitting in front of the fire holding a hot cup of cocoa. Be the hottest and the coolest person in the room. Head to emberwave.com and save $50 with code MM at checkout. That's E-M-B-R-W-A-V-E dot com, code MM at checkout. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Today, murder comes to a small town, and locals take matters into their own hands. This is the story of Ken Rex McElroy. In 1981, Skidmore, Missouri was your typical small-town USA. Skidmore was a farming town with just 437 residents, a gas station, a bank, a grocery store, and a main street. The people of Skidmore worked hard Monday through Friday, cut loose at the DNG Tavern on Saturday nights, and sought redemption at church every Sunday. They were a modest town. They raised families, and everyone helped out their neighbors. Everyone except Kenneth Rex McElroy. To say that Kenneth Rex McElroy, or Ken Rex as the locals called him, was the town bully would be a vast understatement. Everyone in town knew to steer clear of Ken Rex, who made zero apologies and seemed to revel in terrorizing people with his abhorrently aggressive 
and criminal behavior. At 270 pounds, Ken Rex was large and literally in charge in Skidmore. I think that Ken simply wanted to be big and important and have people afraid of him when he walked down the street, recalled one local farmer. And he got that. They were. Born on June 1, 1934, Ken Rex was the 15th of 16 children, born to a poor migrant tenant farming couple named Tony and Mabel McElroy. Ken Rex dropped out of school at age 15 and was thought to be illiterate. After leaving school, Ken Rex spent his time raccoon hunting, cattle rustling, womanizing, and stealing. At age 18, Ken Rex was injured when a steel slab fell and hit him at a construction site. The accident left Ken Rex with chronic pain for the rest of his life, and some have attributed his subsequent bizarre and violent behavior to the head trauma that he suffered as a result of the accident. Ken Rex soon became well-known in Skidmore for training and racing dogs and began to make a substantial amount of cash from it. But he didn't stop there. Ken Rex stole livestock, alcohol, gasoline, grain, and even antiques. At the time of his crimes, the area had the highest rate of stolen livestock in the entire state of Missouri. Ken Rex was charged at least three times a year on average for his various crimes. Some counts estimate that he was indicted as many as 21 times. But Ken Rex was never convicted. The residents of Skidmore were too afraid of Ken Rex to ever testify against him. He was known to possess a substantial arsenal of guns was always armed, and would stalk and threaten any witnesses who spoke against him, parking outside their homes, watching them at night, even threatening to kill them while brandishing one of his many guns. Eventually, every terrified witness would recant, and charges against Ken Rex would always be dropped. The more Ken Rex got away with his crimes, the more dangerously emboldened he became. Ken Rex knew that he could do anything he wanted with the small town of Skidmore and get away with it. He even bragged that his lawyer, Richard Jean McFadden, represented the mob and would keep him out of jail. But Ken Rex's crimes were not just limited to theft and witness tampering. Over the years, Ken Rex McElroy had been accused of destruction of property, sexual harassment and assault, rape, child molestation, even shooting someone. That someone was local farmer Romaine Henry, who Ken Rex shot twice in the stomach when Henry tried to chase him off of his property. Between Ken Rex's success with intimidating witnesses and the fact that he had proven 
that he was willing to pull the trigger, it's no wonder that his multiple victims of sexual assault were too terrified to ever press charges against him. Ken Rex McElroy was accused of raping two young women as young as 12 years old, both of which he was said to have married in order to avoid statutory rape charges and prevent them from testifying against him. Ken Rex fathered more than 10 children, some within his multiple marriages and some with other young women, most of which were children themselves. One of these teens was a 14-year-old girl named Trina McLeod, who Ken Rex impregnated. Using threats, Ken Rex gained permission from Trina's parents to marry her, making Trina his third wife. Trina was now legally trapped in a nightmare, living with Ken Rex and his previous child bride, Alice. Soon after their child was born, Trina and Alice attempted to escape to Trina's parents' house. In response, Ken Rex McElroy burned down her parents' home and shot their dog. For over two decades, the town of Skidmore lived under Ken Rex McElroy's reign of terror, and locals felt abandoned by a justice system which seemed unable or unwilling to do anything to help them. While the authorities continued to pursue him for his crimes, even the police were afraid of Ken Rex, who was the definition of armed and dangerous. But every reign eventually comes to an end, and Ken Rex was about to be ousted from his throne. On April 25, 1980, Ken Rex's 8-year-old daughter, Tanya, was caught stealing candy from the local general store and was asked to return it. The store was owned by an elderly couple, Bo and Lois Bowenkamp. Upon hearing of the incident, Ken Rex flew into a rage against the couple. Lois tried to defuse the situation and called the incident a simple misunderstanding. But Ken Rex wouldn't let it go and began to relentlessly stalk and harass the Bowen Camp family. Over two months later, on July 8, 1980, Bo Bowenkamp was outside of his general store on the loading dock when Ken Rex's truck came speeding up through the back alley. He pulled up next to Bo, drew a shotgun, and shot the 70-year-old Bo Bowenkamp in the neck. Miraculously, Bo Bowenkamp survived, but his shooting proved to be the last straw for the town of Skidmore. Ken Rex McElroy was arrested and charged with attempted murder, and this time, the charges stuck. Ken Rex's preliminary trial was set for August 18, 1980, and as usual, Ken Rex attempted to intimidate the Bowen Camps and their supporters. 
You can't know how intimidating it was after that, Lois Bowenkamp said. Before his trial, he'd drive up to our house in his pickup at night and just sit there. Sometimes he would fire his gun. It was frightening. But this time, one after another, the citizens of Skidmore lined up to testify against Ken Rex McElroy. With the help of his mob lawyer, Ken Rex was able to delay his trial for months until June 25, 1981, almost a year after he shot Bo Bowenkamp. Ken Rex McElroy was convicted of assault with the intent to kill and sentenced to just two years in jail. Ken Rex said of his conviction, the jury convicted me and they gave me two years, but I'll tell you what, I'll never go to jail. I'll appeal and get off. I've been fighting the law since I was 13 and I'm damn near 50. I've been arrested for over 53 felonies and this is the first one I ever lost. And Ken Rex was right. He and his lawyer filed an appeal and Ken Rex McElroy was released on $40,000 bail. The justice system had again failed the town of Skidmore. Immediately upon being released from jail, Ken Rex picked up right where he left off. Just when the people of Skidmore were beginning to believe that it was finally over, their nightmare got worse. Ken Rex had made note of everyone who testified against him and vowed revenge. Soon after his release, locals spotted Ken Rex in D&G Tavern, armed with a rifle with bayonet, openly announcing his graphic plans to murder Bo Bowenkamp. Ken Rex was again arrested for violating his bail provisions, and again, Ken Rex was released. Terrified but determined to end this once and for all, the citizens of Skidmore sent letter after desperate letter to Missouri authorities, local and state police, the governor, the attorney general, and state legislators. But their pleas were met with utter and defeating silence. With no one to help them, the people of Skidmore decided to take matters into their own hands. On July 10, 1981, a town meeting was held at the Legion Hall, just down the street from DNG Tavern, with as many as 60 Skidmore residents in attendance, including both the mayor and the sheriff. The purpose of the meeting was to discuss what they could legally do to prevent Ken Rex McElroy from harming anyone else. We simply felt that the system had failed us, one resident in attendance said. We all knew what McElroy was like, and there he was again and again. It seemed like nobody could stop him. During their meeting, word reached the Legion Hall that Ken Rex and Trina had arrived in town and were spotted 
heading to the D&G Tavern to grab drinks. Never without a gun, Ken Rex was carrying a rifle with bayonet. The town hall meeting adjourned, and the 60 citizens in attendance headed down the street toward D&G Tavern. Ken Rex McElroy and Trina were oblivious to the uprising building just outside the doors of the bar. Much to the relief of the bar patrons, Ken Rex closed his tab and led Trina outside. The couple climbed into their truck and Ken Rex lit a cigarette. The crowd surrounded the truck. Trina looked over her shoulder and saw someone pointing a rifle at Ken Rex. Suddenly, shots were fired. Trina dove out of the truck from the passenger side where a man named Jack Clement grabbed her and took her away from the gunfire to safety. In a few short minutes, it was over. Ken Rex McElroy was dead at age 47 from two gunshot wounds to the head. The crowd dispersed. The street was empty and no one called an ambulance. The only sound left was Trina screaming. Investigators concluded that Ken Rex McElroy had been shot by two different people. As forensic evidence showed that one shot came from the front of the truck while the other came from behind. With shell casings from at least two different guns found at the scene. Over 40 people witnessed the shooting of Ken Rex McElroy. All of them claimed that they didn't see who shot him. Once the shroud of silence fell, there was going to be no one talking, said Cheryl, daughter of Bo Bowenkamp. They could have pushed and dug, pushed and dug, and gotten nothing. We were so bitter and so angry at the law letting us down that it came to somebody taking matters into their own hands. No one has any idea what a nightmare we lived. In the investigation that followed, only one suspect was ever brought in for questioning after Trina named him as one of the shooters. It was Del Clement, part owner of the D&G Tavern. Clement denied the charge, and with no other witnesses to come forward, the DA decided not to press charges. Even after the FBI investigated the case, and three grand juries heard evidence. No further suspects were ever charged for the murder. The investigation concluded that Ken Rex McElroy was murdered by a, quote, person or persons unknown, end quote. On July 9th, 1984, Trina McLeod filed a $6 million wrongful death lawsuit against the town of Skidmore, Nottoway County, Sheriff Danny Estes, Mayor Steve Peters, and Del Clement. The case was settled for $17,600.
Trina left Skidmore and eventually remarried, but passed away on January 24, 2012, on her 55th birthday. Del Clement died in 2009, maintaining until his death that he had no role in the killing. While some have speculated that the murder of Ken Rex McElroy was a vigilante plot that formed at the Legion Hall meeting on July 10, 1981, others believe that it's more likely that a few people made an impulsive decision that day to take action and that the town stood by them with their silence. In 2006, Nottoway County Sheriff Ben Espy said, They all seem to know who did it, but they don't want to get involved. I'll do everything in my power to arrest the person. The people of Skidmore remained silent. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.